Welcome to a bonus episode of Life in Film. If you enjoyed this episode, please review and share this podcast. It makes a huge difference. We're also on Patreon, TikTok, Instagram, if you'd like to support us and get more content. Our guest has overcome the huge feat of getting his feature film debut off the ground, which he's not only directed, but he's written from spec. American Murderer stars Tom Pelfrey, who gives a monster lead performance, with a supporting cast including Ryan Felipe and Jackie Weaver. Based on the shocking true story of Jason Derrick Brown, almost 20 years later, he's still in the FBI's top 10 most wanted list. Our guest today is Matthew Gentile. American Murderer is out now. Here's a clip. This is our prime suspect, Jason Derrick Brown. Tough to say where he might be headed at this point. I love you. We should see what kind of trail this guy leaves us pretty soon. Just not the Jason I know. He's a con man, Melanie. Plain and simple. I need to speak with Jason. My brother's dead. <laughs> Kid quadruple. He's diagnosed Now I know you know Jason, and I know he's been here recently. We got a little opportunity. <laughs> 80 grand, three days. I'm gonna rob an armored truck and I want you to help me. That's above your pay grade. Is that a no mommy? <laughs> You're never gonna find him. You sure about that? I'm sure you'll figure something out. Is there any part of that brain of yours <laughs> that could just tell you to stop? Bitch! He won't get away with this. One man against a loaded gun. Tell me, where is your brother? And do not lie to me. Did you kill that man? I always tell you the truth. Do you know that? Hi there, Elliot. How are you? Hey, Matthew. How's it going? Good. Glad we can make this happen. Good to see you now. Hi. How's it going? <laughs> I'm good, man. I'm good. First of all, I just want to say thank you uh, for reaching out. I really appreciate that you um, that you wanted to come on and chat about this movie, and I'm I'm really excited that it's a good movie. Um, watching it, <laughs> I, I mean, one of those things. Sometimes you watch something and you think, oh, it's okay, but this was really, really. I really enjoyed this, and it it surprised me because, as I said in my first email to you, um, I'd already seen the trailer. And it was something oh, I cool. wanted to see regardless. Um, and then obviously when you you expressed interest in coming in the podcast, I was like, oh, brilliant. Uh, this is a film I wanted to watch anyway. So um, Great. I'm re- I feel really privileged to have seen it early and, and really enjoyed it. And I mean, obviously you've Thank written you. this and you've directed it and you did a short version um, before you did the feature. How did the interest for, obviously it's a very, I didn't know anything about this character and this story. And I was, I was, absolutely blown away that it's a true story how did you come across it yeah well it's a funny story first off thank you for the kind words and thank you for having me i love your interviews and you know so that's why i reached out ah, I just, so good man. i think so you do great film journalism. and you interviewed my good uh friend and fellow filmmaker julian higgins recently ah, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. he went to afi he's actually the reason i went to film school at afi um ah, right. the first time the first time i applied i didn't get in I came really close. Like, I think it was like just there. 
and uh, Julian's film Thief was all over the his short mm-hmm. film Thief was all over the festival circuit. He won every award known to man for it. And um, you know, I I reached out to him. I was like, hey, buddy, uh, you know, I loved your film. How was AFI for you? And he told me, whatever you do, make sure you get yourself into that school. Whatever you got to do, because it's worth it. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad he said that to me because I I kept you know I persisted. The next year I applied and I got in. So. Uh, anyways, that's a shout out to Julian. Um, now I'll answer your question, um, which is how did I come across American Murderer? And, you know, the answer is it actually goes back to childhood. Um, when I was 14, before I wanted to be a filmmaker, I actually wanted to be an FBI agent. So I basically wanted to be Ryan Phillippe's character in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was obsessed with the FBI's top 10 fugitives list, as kids are. Uh, and, you know, it was um, it was interesting because the crime happened in 2004. I was around 13 or 14. And the FBI top 10 list, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's quite interesting. You have a pretty a sea of menacing faces. You have Osama bin Laden, Whitey Bulger. You know, this is back then, of course. Now they're both they've both been caught, but at the, they stayed there on that list for a while. And you have a lot of menacing, you know, sophisticated criminals. And then sure enough, there was this surfer dude with spiky blonde hair from Southern California named Jason Derrick Brown, who, you know, had allegedly committed first degree murder and armed robbery. So his poster, his wanted poster kind of struck me just because his Mm. face didn't seem to fit in with the rest of the guys. So I remembered the face, um, just, you know, an image. And then, you know, you cut to 14 years later, I'm graduating from film school at the AFI. I'm trying to figure out what my first feature is. I'm kind of in that existential film school, post-film school rut where you're like, what's your, because any, you know, anyone who's gone to film school knows if you make a short that, you know, luckily enough opens some doors for you though the first question anybody asks is what's your future mm. and i had a few different kind of pet projects that were like getting you know some traction but then not and false starts and, and whatever and i realized that if i wanted to do a first feature that felt specific to me and what i wanted to say i'd have to write it myself and so i was like yeah, i went to afi for directing and i was like now i've got to educate myself really hard on screen because <laughs> that's the way you you know i'm going to be able to break in and you know i should say with a caveat there's tons of ways to break in but for me it was writing and you know and realizing that i had to write so i was thinking like what's that first feature look like and then all of a sudden one day i was storyboarding for a shoot i was doing a commercial and um, whenever i storyboard i always have uh my tv on in the background like you know it'll be like cnbc or you know some true crime stuff or whatever and i'm drawing out some shots and all of a sudden jason's face popped on the television and it was like you know it was literally like i was walking around in my head going what's my first feature and then boom Jason Derrick Brown's face popped on the TV and kind of, you know, looked at me and I turned the volume up and I was like, huh, this is interesting. What, what went on here? And then I saw that it had been 14 years and he was still missing. And I was just immediately captivated and struck by, you know, the documentary was almost called American Greed, um, which I recently interviewed on. And what was interesting about that piece in particular, there were a lot, you know, Jason's story was covered everywhere. Dateline, American Greed, tons of newspapers. You know, it was a huge case at the time it happened. But they really got into it with like they they interviewed, you know, Ryan Phillippe's character, Lance Lysing. They interviewed some people who are composite characters and portrayed in the movie. And I, I was really struck immediately by how Jason Derrick Brown, here was this, you know, fairly good looking guy who portrayed himself as wealthy and, you know, made himself look like a businessman and came off totally legit to a lot of people. But he meant so many different things to so many different people. And that was just really interesting to me how this guy could, you know, to one person be a lover, to one person be you know, the hunted, right? The, the prey to another person be the con man ripping them off to another person be like their hero, you know, 
the other person, their little brother, right, who they're just trying to take care of. And all these different things that he meant just really sparked my interest because, you know, on the surface, I had everything I love in a movie. You know, I became a filmmaker because my favorite movie growing up was Dog Day Afternoon. So I saw it when I was <laughs> Great 12. Choice. Yeah, I saw it when I was 12. And I kind of said to my dad, I was like, I want more movies like that. You know, I love stories of antiheroes. I love true stories. I love crime stories, all that, you know, gangster. You know, most kids my age were into Pokemon. I was into gangsters, criminals, and content. <laughs> so, you know, that was my thing, right? And, um, you know, American Murder, though, kind of came to me. So, like, on the surface, it had all those things. But really, I think what made it a movie and a story that I needed, felt I needed to tell and fight for, you know, for years of my life was, you know, this is a movie about someone who, you know, it's just much about Jason Derrick Brown as it is about the people who knew him and who loved him. And so it's seeing him through all these different perspectives that really started to get me excited mm -hmm. about telling this story. And finding, I mean, straight away, like within the first couple of scenes, um, it was, I guess it's without giving anything away to the audience that haven't seen it, seeing the performance from Tom Pelfrey where he, he can basically, his charisma, his lies and everything else, can be you know believable and and the yeah. audience is but actually at the beginning you're you're like you're on side um what was the process like finding you know your 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 murderer essentially well that's a great question and you know the credit goes to tom pelfrey because i think he gives a you know i love this whole cast and i think they're all great and you know it all hinges on jason right it's all about every scene is about jason Derek brown right even if he's not in it so you know, it is all about him. And I think Tom really carries the movie on his shoulders because it's exactly what you said. You know, when I first was casting this role, there were a lot of names that were kind of thrown around. Um, you know, Tom came into the process actually pretty late because we, I didn't really know his work very well until my producer Gia Walsh called me and said, are you watching Ozark? Which was mm -hmm. right when we were casting the film in, you know, March, 2020. So the world had mm -hmm. shut down. We didn't know when our start date would be. And, you know, the script was in a strong place. It was, you know, getting some attention. You know, the producers were sending it around and getting interest. But Tom kind of came in and popped on the radar, so to speak. And uh, in the same day, my producer, Gia Walsh, calls me and says, hey, uh, this guy, Tom Pelfrey, is amazing. Three other people call me, including my brother, the composer. Wow. Um, and my best friend is a talent agent. So I had these three kind of pings at the same time saying, look at Tom Pelfrey for your movie. People had read the script and knew it quite well. And, you know, when I saw him on Ozark in the opening scene, I was immediately struck by just how he was so, like, Tom was so physical as an actor. The person he reminded me of the most, my favorite filmmaker is Kurosawa. Therefore, my favorite leading man is Toshiro Mifune. And Tom had something that reminded me of that, where there was a quote Kurosawa said about Toshiro Mifune, where he said, uh, Toshiro Mifune could do in five seconds what would take most actors three minutes. And I felt that about Tom because I knew that Jason needed a few things. He needed to be charismatic. That's number one, right? Like every pitch material to this movie says a charismatic comment. So he had to be charismatic. He had to be physical. You know, he had to have that kind of dynamism because it is a physical role. So pull-ups on the boat, right? So I knew I needed someone like that. I knew I needed someone who could be scary and unpredictable, right? And could basically convey every mood because he has to, you know, he's like an actor. He has to go through all that and get himself there. But something that Tom was really helpful with when we finally did cast him, and, you know, I, I think, and he loved the script and he really liked my shorts. And, I, you know, I know he was excited about doing it, but, you know, at first he had some reservations because the script originally, before we went out to shoot, and, you know, and this is why I think actors really, great actors like Tom or Ryan or Dina or Jackie or Chantel or Moises, they kind of like become co-writers when they work with you. 
you know, you have your script and you have a vision of it. But the script, I remember before we shot, had a lot of kind of like almost moments where Jason was sort of winking at the audience a little, mm. you know, or like not even like not breaking the fourth wall necessarily, but you know, there were just moments where you saw he was like kind of satisfied getting one one over on somebody. And that's a funny thing about like action lines or prose lines and screenplays is sometimes you write things to like keep a reader going. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to an actor, you know, they kind of are like, what, you know, am I smiling here? Or maybe I'm doing this. And that was something Tom was really phenomenal at was he was really working. And we worked on, you know, we did a lot of Zooms where we would talk about the script. I'd, I'd, I'd cut all the action lines out because I saw they weren't, you know, some of them were like telling him what to do or how to play the scene. I didn't want to do that. And we would just, you know, talk about the lines and what's underneath them. And we always found, you know, something Tom, I think, and the reason why his performance is so strong in the film is he never looked at Jason as a sociopath. He never said, I'm going to play him like this monster man or anything like mm-hmm. that. I think he saw, I think he saw Jason as a wounded, immature man child. And that was kind of the take he did and ran with. And so he, you know, in every scene of the movie, I think Tom like is really playing the desperation, you know, not that Jason's crazy, right. But he's desperate. Now that might make him do crazy things, right. That might make him do sociopath things, but in his mind, he's not seeing it that way. Mm. And I think that's, you know, the beauty of when you have a great actor, like, Tom Pelfrey or any of them, you know, they're not judging their characters, you know, they're, they're really in it and they're playing the emotional and the human truth of the situation. And I think that's why Tom's so good in the film and just, uh, he understood, he understood Jason very well. And when he came to set on day one, uh, you know, the first thing we shot was the boat party scene, mm-hmm. which is a pretty wild scene. That actually is a real footage. We kind of like recreated that a little, Oh wow! Um, from a real video that exists that's been around on some of the on the programs uh, that I got to see. And it was, uh, it was pretty wild to see like the first day he arrived, I was like, wow, he's Jason. <laughs> you know, he got it. <laughs> he just, I was like, I don't have to worry about him. Um, and I really didn't have to worry about any of them. I mean, this was such a strong cast, like, you know, Jackie Weaver, someone like that is coming in and playing a small part and she's mm-hmm. a two time Oscar nominee. And she just was, you know, these actors were so on their game. Um, you know, it was, it was, I just kind of had to, as a first time director, step up and, and, and do my, do my job well. Yeah, I mean, you touched on that a little bit there, but how is that when you have like someone like a two-time Oscar-winning, Oscar-nominated actress, and then you've got someone like Tom Pelfer who's like really on his way up, Ryan Philippe, these people that you yeah. know from also your, you know, your past. What what is that like going on set and going? Well, I'm actually I'm directing them, and this is this is is it kind of a little bit odd? Um, I'm doing that for the first time with these sort of giants of the screen. Well, you know, imposter syndrome is real. Um, and I think it definitely kicks in when you make your first movie for sure I think if it doesn't there might be something wrong or maybe you know some people are just super confident and they don't have that but you know it's it's real I mean you know I felt well for one I felt very lucky to have these people I mean it was just it kind of would keep getting better and better you know first we got Tom was like oh my god we got the guy then it was Ryan it was like oh my god we got Ryan Philbin to do this then you know Jackie Weaver I remember my producers when they gave me notes on one version of the script were like you know they were giving notes on that specific scene it was a lot shorter and they were like if you beef this scene up and you really like make it you know hurt I had great I had great producers obviously give great notes like that fortunately which is very fortunate because that's not always the case <laughs> you know as we know mm. um and they gave really great notes my and one of my producers said great scenes cut and hurt 
And if you can write a scene with Jackie, with the mom that really hurts, I think you can get Jackie Weaver to do this. And I thought he was crazy. I said, Jackie Weaver for this small part in a first time director's film, you're nuts, Kevin. That's not going <laughs> to happen. And then sure enough, we offered it to her and she said yes. And I think, you know, part of it was also like we were shooting, you know, we shot the movie, you know, December 2020, early 2021. So we were re- like in the thick of COVID and, you know, the mm. pandemic. I saw the film with Ryan uh, the other night on Saturday at the Newport Beach Film Festival. We had our, our West Coast premiere. And Ryan said to me, I think that, you know, I think that the energy of us all being so hungry to work because we were <laughs> locked up really comes off in your movie. And I was like, absolutely, I think, I think he's absolutely right. Um, but, you know, no, working with Jackie, she was, I mean, all of them really were quite, I found quite trusting of me as the director, which I was like a little bit like, okay, you know, I, like I said, there was no egos on this set. There was no prima donnas. It was really like, everyone was just happy to be there mm. and working and, and, and getting to work on their craft, um, you know, but every actor has a different language I've found in my limited directing experience from shorts to this, that, you know, every actor requires different, certain things. And, you know, they are all, everyone in this cast, I think from, you know, really like the whole cast was just really talented, but, you know, figuring out what each one needs to help them. That's kind of how I saw my job, Um, you know, and there's a great quote about directing from Barry Jenkins. I just recently heard where he said, um, it was beautiful. I had to like write it down because I was like listening on a podcast on a run. And he said, um, I always thought directing was about being powerful, but then I realized it was actually about being powerless. And I thought that was really beautiful he said like i don't think you could say it much better than that because you know us directors we want to control everything (laughs) we want to control all the elements we want to control all the you know but you can't you know know, there's this thing is kind of happening you know story is being told it's unfolding it's coming to life you know and i prepared for this movie like you know as much as i could me and my i pre-visualized a lot of it i storyboarded the whole shoot you know i had everything planned to a t and when you make a movie like this on a tight schedule in a tight budget, which has some, you know, action elements and things like that, you have to plan a lot. But at the end of the day, though, what the planning did was it allowed us to be very organic and let these actors really come in and just blow things up and and, and elevate the material. And I think they all, really, I think every single actor in this cast elevated their role beyond what was there. I would, I would argue. I think as well, it helps. Well, personally, I think it helps. For the cast to have someone that's written and directing something because then they know that there's one di- destination you know that right. you you know what you're sailing towards um and there's also for you unluckily you're the one point of reference to ask all the questions right. <laughs> so sure but that that gives them i think that gives a, a sense point. of um of like you know where this is going you've got a clear vision um and that i think can really help that's a great point, you know, and, and it was actually funny because now I am like, you know, after I finished making the movie, I kind of said to myself, I was like, oh my God, I can never imagine directing someone else's script. Like I'm going to yeah. have to write my own scripts because I can't imagine it, like how that must feel, you know, with the division. But, you know, it is interesting. I said that for a while and then someone sent me a script that I absolutely loved and I was like, oh, I'd love to direct this, <laughs> you know. Um, and so I would be interested in some days directing, you know, I, I love how you know, a lot of my favorite directors do both, right? A lot of my, some of my favorite directors just write and direct their own material, like you have Paul Thomas Anderson and Quentin Tarantino and West, a lot of them. And then some, you know, take on a bunch of different scripts. Like, you know, you look at Scorsese or Spielberg, right? Those guys like, mm-hmm. you know, do everything or, or, you know, or Catherine Bigelow is like one of the best directors. And she's, I don't think she writes any of her scripts, maybe one or two, but, you know, she works with great writers. So I, I'd love to work with great writers someday. 
you know, because I, I don't want to get too, I think as a writer director, you can get precious. <laughs> That's dangerous. Mm. But, you know, in this phase of my career where I'm starting out, you know, it, it is nice to, yeah, be that one that people can come to and, and be the God of the, of the universe. Because, you know, especially if you're doing a true story, like you're the research source. And, you know, I researched this screenplay for a very long time before I even, I think I researched it for six to eight months before I actually sat down to write a word. So, mm. you know, I have a pretty slow process where I really like, get as much information as I can so I can, you know, provide details, like things like down to like the clothes these characters wear are pretty like, you know, things like that. And we did go off. It was not the most, it definitely would, I wouldn't say it's the most historically accurate movie, but it's more to research to get that immersion, you know, for mm-hmm. an audience. Um, so yeah, there is definitely power to it. But at the same time, you know, I think a lot of great directors take scripts that they don't write and make it their own completely or collaborate, you know, right with the writer well. Uh, I always point to The Social Network, which I think is my favorite movie of the 2010s. I know I'm not that original. Brilliant film. Yeah, I know I'm not original in saying that, but I love that documentary where you see Sorkin and Fincher. I, I, I assume you've seen I it. haven't. Is there, is there a documentary about the documentary? Oh, check it out, man. It's on YouTube. It's like oh, a two nice. hour. It's like a two and a half hour thing that they did. Uh, and thank God they did this. I don't know who like in the studio approved it, but it's amazing because you really see Fincher and Sorkin like in rehearsals with Andrew Garfield. And, oh wow! Uh, and they're so young, right? And like you just see these amazing actors, like just and even Justin Timberlake, you see them like chatting with him and like you yeah, know about yeah, Sean Parker, yeah. and it really you see Fincher and Sorkin like arguing and like collaborating, <laughs> and it's really great, you know. And I think film at the end of the day, film's a very very collaborative medium you know um whether you are what they call an auteur or not you know like any director has to be super mm-hmm. collaborative because you know you're all working together to tell the same stories so mm-hmm. yeah there's yeah. all kinds of exciting ways to do it but i do love writing so well if you're um if you're willing i'd love to talk about the process of obviously you had your short film and then you wrote the yeah. uh, the feature version of the script but for people listening to this, and part, partly for me as well, um, I've written a feature film, and I'd love to know the inside track of what is the process. So was the first thing writing it, or did you line up producers? What was the process from the start? Yeah. I'll, sh- I'll share my brushstrokes um, for <laughs> sure. So, you know, I, yeah, it took a long time. Um, my My journey will be a story of how it took a long time, and the moral of it is battle of attrition. You know, you, it's a tick. You know, anyone I know who's made a first feature, and I include Julian in this, uh, Chloe Okuno, who's also AFI, like she just had her film Watcher come out. Um, my good friend Max Barbacow was my classmate, made Palm Springs, uh, which is a great film. You know, anyone I know who's made a debut, for the most part, there's a few exceptions, but for the most part, it's taken a long time, sometimes years. Um, you know, in my case, it was four or five. I know. It, like a lot of them is longer, some of them are shorter. So, you know, it takes time. Um, for me, like I said, I graduated film school, I was figuring out what that first feature was, you know, and like my short films that were kind of going around the circuits of the festivals, you know, for luck, I was lucky enough to have them win some awards and all that, but, you know, nothing concrete was coming out of that. And my mentality always was nobody's really going to offer you a directing job, right? So I wrote American Murder at first just on spec. Like I just wrote it on my own, on my own time, on my own time, um, as one does with, you know, I still write screenplays on spec. I do some higher jobs sometimes, but mostly it's me writing, you know, on spec and originating it from scratch. And what happened with American Murder was I started writing it. We're talking like 2018 era, um, you know, early 2018. 
and I had I was lucky in that I had a connection to this great actor, Jonathan Groff. Um, I used to work in the mailroom at William Morris Endeavor before I went to uh, AFI. And I, I, one of the great jobs we had in the mailroom was we got to tape actors and, and in their auditions. So that was really a directing class for me. I got to like, you know, they would ask me for feedback. And Jonathan was one of the extremely talented actors I was lucky enough to tape. And I thought he was going to, I thought he was great for the role in this movie. And so I spoke with him about it. He seemed very interested. You know, he said, send me the script when it's ready, which is a big, you know, lesson I'll hammer over <laughs> you and any listeners' heads is, you know, always make sure you send a script when you feel it's 100% ready. Like, mm. you know, because I've made that mistake before where I've sent it too early. But I sent it to him after like, working on it for five months, got it to him. He really did like it. And he, you know, wanted to do it. His team was a little less, you know, excited <laughs> at the time his career was <laughs> taking off he was uh you know in the he was in the show mind hunter which was huge on netflix and fincher and you know was really working at a, operating at a high level but you know he was generous enough to do a proof of concept short with me where what we did was we took one scene from the script and shot it and you know this was not a traditional short film i should say in that like you know i think a great short film you know, that like say wins Sundance or any big festival, they normally like tell a story, right? And they like have a kind of payoff joke. I think I think short films are as hard as features. I really do. I compare a short film to me is like writing a haiku, whereas a feature is like a novel, right? And you have a lot more space and time to explore. So I find I find shorts very hard. And while my shorts did, you know, do open a lot of doors for me and win awards, and I think they are well crafted, I never made a great short film. I made a great small feature trailer, right? <laughs> I made great small feature trailers because that's what I was always trying to get to. So for this proof of concept short, what I specifically wanted to do with the advice of a very smart industry colleague of mine, I want to take one scene, shoot it really well, have the music sound good, right? Have like, get the tone across so that it could help be a calling card for my script. Because what I was finding was it was really hard to get my screenplay read by people. Mm -hmm you know, the gatekeepers, the, you know, because the fact is, as and I was one of them, right? I was an assistant of William Morris, you know, in, in 2013, so 2014. So I, I knew how hard it was to get scripts read because I used to sit on those desks and I knew what it would be like to have 10 scripts in a queue and you have to read them that week. And, you know, I also worked as a script reader after that. So, you know, to well, during this era, I was working as a script reader uh, for multiple places to support myself while I was writing. So, you know, I knew how hard it was. So, you know, it, it's hard to get people just to crack a thing open. So having something like a proof of concept, especially if you're directing it, like if you're trying to break in as a screenwriter, that's a different game. But if you're trying to direct your own indie feature, having that proof of concept could really help as a calling card. And it really did for me, because once that proof of concept came, dropped online just on IMDb as a thing that Jonathan Groff was in, all of a sudden people started getting very interested in the project. And I had a lot of people reaching out to me. There were some people then that wanted the script, but not me to direct it. Shocker. Because <laughs> um, it was, an you know, you've seen it. So, you know, it's an ambitious first movie. Um, and I kind of realized that as I was writing it. But I said, okay. You know, I was like, that's fine. And it'll take longer, but that's okay. Because I, I think, you know, I'm a believer that the first movie, and again, there's millions of ways to do it. Some people make, they go 10K movie, 100K movie, and they build their way up. And for me, I wanted to, you know, I, I was like, I'm, I, I feel like you only get to make your first feature once. Mm. So I'm not saying it's going to be perfect or the great masterpiece of my career. Um, I certainly would hope not, you know, but I want it to be something I really like, feel like I cared and thought about. Like I want to mm. really like, you know, come in, come in as strong as I can, as I feel that I can. Can I ask you just where you, when you're talking about it in terms of, because it does feel really ambitious and it feels like it has a decent budget. It obviously has a great cast. 
are you able to sort of give us a ballpark on how much the film costs? Um, I can't. That's my one area I can't. I can't answer the budget. Yeah, I'll say it was a tight schedule, you know, and not yeah. as much as it looks. <laughs> not <laughs> as much as it looks. But that's the main thing, though, that, you know, a first time, you know, director and writer and seeing something like this, it feels big. It feels like it's right. got a really decent budget. Um, so you've obviously done you've done something right there. But um, yeah, no, fair Thank enough. You. Fair enough. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, I would tell you if I could, but I, I can't. If years from now, I'll tell you. We'll, we'll have a, I'll, I'll come to England, we'll have a beer and I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll... yeah. You're in London, right? Yeah, London, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll pass by London. Um, I'll tell you at the pub. But um, no, so, you know, yeah. So the script, you know, was kind of like in this limbo and I was tripping. I was getting interest, which was good. And then two companies converged on me at the same time. Uh, one was called GG Films, ran by the great Gia Walsh. Uh, she produced Zola, actually was going off to shoot it right around this time I'm talking about. Um, and she was doing that with A24 at the time. And she got really into, into it and into me as a director. She'd seen my shorts. And then this other company, Traveling Picture Show, right by Kevin Madison and Carissa Buffell. They kind of all these three producers came on, you know, at the same time and banded together and uh you know backed me and optioned the script for me and we were doing rewrites on it for about a year before we went out you know to cast it right in march of 2020 and that's um, with the producers all kind of having their input and and did they bring anyone else in or was it just they were tweaking what you'd already done and then you tweak it and yeah you know they were giving me notes i was giving them drafts um mm. you know and that was a process you know where i really that's a, i credit that with teaching because after that i also started getting writing gigs and I credit that. That was my screen, you know, my screenwriting school. My film school was AFI for directing. My screenwriting school was reading scripts, you know, and doing coverage, uh, which I did for years, literally up until the shoot. Um, and then I even went back up during some points after post, um, you know, and doing that and reading scripts for people and writing and taking notes from these guys, because that's what all of me taught me how to really, you know, write a screenplay and write a screenplay that could have all the things that a movie needs, you know? And I felt really lucky that I had that because, you know, what was great about my process was I never really, I never really felt like they were trying to make a different movie than me. I felt like they were just trying to make a better version of what I had written. <laughs> right. And so, you know, I think that's something really important to have in a producer is a producer, just like in a director with an actor, you know, an actor is always grateful usually when you give them some kind of adjustment, not necessarily a note, but an adjustment or something like mm. very often I find actors will thank you for pushing them that extra step. Right. Cause that makes them feel safe. Like they're being, you know, watched. And I love that about, you know, and I think that's the same with all collaborators. Cinematographer, like she'll tell me if my shot is too, like, it's like, no one's going to get that. You know, <laughs> that's not translating. It's not in this head of the character, you know, an editor, right. Does something similar. And I think a good producer, I think, you know, really these producers really help push the project further. And, mm. you know, when people, the first thing I always get asked in every interview, I think this one was that too, right? Is, wow, great cast for a first feature. And I think that the reason for that is because I think the screenplay was worked on for such a long time and really mm. had the chance to cook and thicken and like develop as a soup. <laughs> so by the time we really gave it out, you know, people were, were interested in it because it felt, you know, deliberate and intentional. There was a restraint, you know, it had all those things that I think was attracting these these amazing people to come mm -hmm. um, and so that's the power of development now it can go the wrong way i've seen that where you know people lose their vision or kind of lose sight of it but that didn't happen with this and it didn't really happen at any point i think because once again i had producers who really 
uh, trusted me and believed in believed in me as the director of mm. the movie as well as the writer. They were like, we believe, you know, Matt didn't do this. So that was pretty great, you know. Mm. Well, they do say, don't they, that if, you know, obviously it sounds so simple, but writing a great part, an actor is going to read it and think, that's a great part. I want to do it. Right. Um, but as you say, the tricky thing is actually getting that script on the desk of the right people to get it to that person in the first place. But um, yeah. it's a very interesting process because everyone I have on it, including Julian, all the guests that I've had, it's always slightly different. You you take a little bit from each one of them and you think, okay, that's a good, interesting way of doing it. I would love to see um, the short version of uh, of this yeah. film as well. Where where can I find that? And where, where can the audience find that? I can send it to you. I, you know, I, I think I had it publicly. It's going to be on the Blu-ray. Oh, uh, great. Okay. So I'm excited about that. It's going to be on the Blu-ray DVD. Um, you know, I got to find a way to release it online somehow. Um, it was on my website for a long time. It might still be there, but I'm not sure. I might've had to pass with protective, but I'll, I'll send it to you. And, yeah, that would be great. I'm and sure then... it'll get up there at some point. Um, you know, <laughs> depending on how interested people get, but for everyone else, though, it's cool. By you know, the Blu-ray. It's the... Yeah, exactly. Buy the Blu-ray and you'll get it. Um, it's the SWAT invasion sequence uh, in the movie. That's the scene right. I did. Just picked an yeah. easy one. And, so that, uh, yeah, that sounds, sounds it's all, and it's all And it's all done in one shot. Um, oh, wow. It was, it was done in one take. I, at the time, I was very into oners. And then yeah. <laughs> there's still some oners in the movie, but I, I, I kind of chilled on that a little. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's cool. I'll, I'll shoot it over to you. Yeah, no, great. And where you talk about, you know, you were very into oneers, and and the way just made me think the way this was shot. Um, your cinematographer, how did you? Was it very collaborative in the way that you wanted this to look? Was there was there a particular kind of way that you wanted to go before you started shooting? You say you obviously did a lot of the storyboards, which is obviously a um, a huge influence on the way a film's going to look. Um, yeah. So what was that collaboration like? Absolutely. Well, Khalil Robinson, my cinematographer, we've worked together for a long time. We we started working together at AFI. Um, oh wow! Okay, that's she great. Did, she did my short Lawman, um, and it was actually her short that because uh, I graduated. I kind of had two shorts, two thesis films from AFI. One was Frontman. That was my first one, um, and that one kind of you know played a lot of festivals and whatnot. And then because it did very well I won a student Emmy I got hired by AFI to come back and do a second thesis because someone the year below me had dropped out and that was <laughs> Khalila's short and it was a western that she had been for years trying to get made about Bass Reeves the first African-American U.S. deputy in uh, the Wild West who you know has a crazy story that's also been covered a lot and I think they're now doing a tv show about it um but Khalil and I did that as her thesis and I directed it and so We've discovered we worked extremely well together, just had a natural rapport, all that. We did tons of things since then. She did the proof of concept as well. And, you know, Khalil is extremely talented, um, extremely intelligent, and compliments me very well. Like, we, you know, we see things differently, and that's part of why I think we make a good team. Like, she hates the social network. No, really? Yeah, we argue. I, I, all get the time. hate for that. All, all the time. All the time. <laughs> no, she doesn't hate it. She just... She doesn't hate it. What it is is she thinks it's not as good as seven. And I'm like, you know, that's a fair argument because seven yeah. is also a masterwork. But, you know. All of Finch's work is just, I can't I'm even free. really pick a weak one that I just love. No. Even Alien 3. <laughs> right. Love even it. Alien 3 has some good stuff in it. No, yeah. He he is such a master craftsman. You know, Tom had worked with him on Mank. Um, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. And explained why he was such a, a 
such a genius because he's just the guy can see he's like x-ray vision he can just see mm-hmm. everything you know um but Kalila, you know and i we really get on but we also argue a lot and we, and we question things and <laughs> you know but the way we um we prepared for the movie was we actually so every time i'm like finished with the script you know even in a draft i kind of you know while i'm like because you know it always takes time to get notes so I will go, and I'm doing this now, the script that I'm working on the, as my next film, and I will just type up a list of sh- all the shots in the movie. And I kind of mm-hmm. learned that from a David Lean interview I saw when I was like 16. Mm. Um, or David, David Lean's my other favorite director. Um, so go Britain. Um, <laughs> I, I, um, I, David Lean said he, I was always surprised because he typed up the list of shots and he gave them to people to like, look at and talk about. And so I, I've always done that, just type up a list of everything. It's very wordy. It's like paragraph, you know, mm-hmm. form um and Khalil then looks at it and she's like I don't understand what any of this means and then we talk and we go through each one and I explain them to her and I talk through it and then she adds shots right or she comes she's like hmm, well what if we get a long shot here she always wants to go wider right <laughs> she's like what do we get a wider shot there to really show the landscape of I'm like yes and you know and so it kind of becomes a thing that we co-author and then what I do is off of that off our conversations I go out and I draw it badly with like stick figures colored <laughs> pencils you know right but I in my head it was like this beautiful monet type you know <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's it's it's, it's uh, they have that in the special features too they did all our storyboards um, <laughs> but then i'll draw the whole movie out like i just go mm. all the way through and draw every cut every shot as i see it you know rudimentary um and then we look at it together you know and we look at it and we keep and we refine it and we talk about it and you know then another thing we kind of added as a second layer to this, and this was a COVID thing, but, you know, my editor, Matt Allen, he had won this Ace and Brennan fellowship and he had gotten his hands on this amazing software called shop pro where you could like build sets in 3d, take a camera and roam around. And, you know, cause one thing I'll say as another advice piece to aspiring directors, fellow aspiring directors and screenwriters is, you know, it can be a lot of time before your movie takes off and you can lose because directing is a muscle. You know, and so you kind of have to, I think Julian talked about this, I think on your podcast, you have to find mm-hmm. ways to practice, you know, and I did something similar to him where we both like worked with uh, kind of like actors who were not in the movie on scenes to really stage them, get them up on their feet and just practice the muscle of directing because directing and writing are very related, but they are different, you know, mm-hmm. and it's harder to practice directing, right? It's easy to practice writing because you can do it. I mean, it's not easy, but you can do it every day, no matter what practicing directing you need actors or something right so Mm -hmm. you know but matt allen my editor thank god for him because in may of 2020 he got he won this thing he got the software and so he said to me he was like look while we're like in this limbo waiting for this movie to possibly happen why don't we just start doing take your storyboards and make them actually like something people can look at Mm. and so we did like 3d animatics of like all the major set pieces from like wow the armor truck heist to the SWAT invasion to the stunts, the tackles, all of that stuff. And so then some things like even the interrogations, you know, where we just want to make sure they didn't look boring and flat, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it just was always it was about just beefing, you know, just letting it get the prep get richer and deeper and and more. And you know, so visually we were pretty thought out. And Kalila, what's great about her also, she talks a lot about concepts um you know like so there were just things we kind of came up with like you know the look of jason how it would progress over the movie so at the beginning of the film jason is colorful vibrant flashy the camera's moving fast you know we looked at like 
you know, Wolf of Wall Street, right? Or like, you know, even like Catch Me If You Can, the happy parts where the camera's moving a lot and it's like fast and it's vibrant. It's, you know, the color saturated, the nightclub, like Jason's on top. And then we talked about how as the movie progressed and things start getting worse and worse for him, like we kind of lose that color. It becomes bleaker, darker and, you know, moments we chose to use handheld for, which we initially actually didn't plan too much of. Um, but there were some scenes where we were just watching the energy of what was on set and we were like... Mm yeah, we got to go handheld here. But we were careful about when we chose that. And actually, since you're such a huge Fincher fan, the, um, I don't think we're spoiling too much if we say there's a murder in the movie because it's called American Murder. But in, yeah. that big, in that big sequence where there's an armored truck heist and all that, you know, I didn't have tons of time for that. You know, we really looked at like Seven and the shootout mm. in the rain, which is one of my, I think one of those beautiful, bleak sequences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where the gun comes down on Brad Pitt and it's just excellent. And we, you know, Quill and I noticed that that sequence, if you watch it slowly and break down every shot in it, uses handheld steady cam and dolly. Oh, right? wow. Fincher is normally not someone who does a ton of movements. He keeps it pretty locked down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, that sequence uses all of it. And we did that in the murder because handheld steady cam and dolly all mean different things. You know, dolly we love because it's controlled and really nothing looks as good as a dolly, in my opinion. But Steadicam kind of gives you that flowy, fun, right? like mm-hmm. that, that Scorsese or David O. Russell like feel, right? Of like things are kind of flowy and, and fun and moving. And then handheld, I think, is great to make someone uncomfortable, you know, or give mm-hmm. that. So not always used for that, but a lot of the time it can be. So we, we in the big climactic mercy was we used that. And SWAT Invasion 2, we did that as well. But um, yeah, you know, we were constantly talking references and, and looks. And, you know, there were many movies that inspired this film's look, but the big thing and what I love about Khalil as a cinematographer is she's really into she really thinks about character mm-hmm. and story and lets that enhance the visuals so you know it's always about where what's the progression of Jason what's the progression of Lance Ryan's character you know where are they you know how are they meeting mm-hmm. how are we contrasting you know um and that's why I love working with her mm-hmm. I, I hate to go back to what we were talking about before, but I just thinking about all the shots and what you've just said there, I did notice with um, Tom's performance at the beginning, he's having, obviously, as you say, a lot of fun. And his performance, yeah. there's a lot of moments in that that are really like cheeky, funny, like his charisma is coming across and everything else. It must have been a very fine line because obviously you're, this is all based on a real person and a person that has done something that is absolutely horrendous. Um, I don't want to give away what, you know, for those of you who haven't seen it, but where, how did you find that line? Like, he, he, you're really on side with him at the beginning and he's a really, he is a likable, but slightly scary character that just right. slowly falls down the rabbit hole. Um, but it felt like a really natural progression. Um, how did you keep tabs on on that and, and making sure that it wasn't either too much or not enough or... You and also very, keeping in mind it's a real person as well. Right, right. No, and, and you ask very good questions. Um, that's a smart one. I, you know, I think that, look, the design of the movie, you know, because the first drafts of the script before my producers came on, right, that I was kicking around on my own, were actually not quite like the movie you saw in that it was a lot of the same plot elements, but it was actually much more just with Jason and, you know, not really leaving him. And my idea was, you know, take a charismatic guy, stick the audience with him, watch him do something horrendous, and then make you be stuck with him. 
that was kind of my original idea and it, that stayed more or less but i think the original version was a little bit too much like you know straight pure concentrate right it was like this thing that just it was kind of unpalatable um and as i developed it what i realized was the way to really make this story work was to show jason from all of these different perspectives and points of view so you do have some scenes that are like that original script where it's just with Jason and you're with him and you're in his head, right? And you're seeing things through his eyes and you're, you know, you're staying with him. But adding that kind of like engine of you, you have Lance, you have Ryan's character chasing him down, trying to bring him to justice, right? Bring the bad guy in. And we know he did something, but we don't know what. So we're kind of like, you know, you're asking questions and then you're seeing him through all these different points of view, right? So, you know, and I don't, I don't think the movie worked without that. Um, because you know what you know you have from Adina's perspective right he's the love interest he's you know he's kind of the hero he's the romantic hero in that storyline and then you mm. look at him from Chantel's the sister's point of view I think she's an excellent actress and she sees him kind of change over the years from like her little kid brother who's innocent to you know the guy he became and then you know you have his brother kind of like this is a paternal relationship in a lot of ways he looks after him he cares for Jason so I think it was seeing him through, and then you have, of course, Jackie Weaver, his mother, who can see right through his bullshit, right? <laughs> and that's, in a way, that's the con man's worst nightmare. It's probably the most, it might, there's an argument that's the most tense scene of the movie. It's a brilliant um, scene, yeah. You know, it's real. thank you. It's really tense because, you know, she sees right through him. It's uncomfortable, you know, because mm. that's not how we're used to seeing him from, especially what comes before that in the film, right? It's like a lot of him having fun on top of the world and then, you know, comes crashing down fast. So that was always the idea, you know, Elliot, was to really show Jason from all of these different perspectives so that by the end of the movie, you know, whether you, and I'm glad to hear that you were on his side, you know, not everyone is. Some people, when they mm. watch it, don't feel that. Some people hate him from the get-go, but I, I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I've found people actually like whether they love him hate him or kind of fall anywhere in between mm. they can still come on the ride you know mm -hmm. because there's some there's someone you can relate to in this i think you know mm. even if it's not jason because most of us are not thankfully like jason Derek brown right like mm. you know the, the guy you see his video of him showing up right I mean, he was kind of like in many ways i always saw him as an influencer right before the thing existed the way he videotaped himself and put out this image right um you know, so it was, it's, it's so interesting to see how he, you know, made that image of himself, but, you know, regardless of who you're, you know, how you feel towards Jason in the movie, I think you can come out with an understanding of him. And I think therefore, whether you root for him or root against him or find yourself at both. I mean, I'll tell you when I watched the assembly of the film and I wrote this thing, as you know, um, it was like two hours and 40 minutes, which I didn't even know how it was possible that we shot that much footage, but <laughs> it was. And I watched the slow, you know, he filled to everything. Because, you know, the movie, despite what it looks like, it was a bit of a slow burn, right? It kind of builds those results and then mm -hmm. boom. And um, when he does the horrendous thing we're talking about, I forgot. Like, <laughs> I was watching all this raw stuff, and I just, like, by the time we got there, I was like, oh, that's right, he does that, you know? And I think a lot of people, when they watch it, feel that way, even if they know what he did, which, you know, the audience, yeah. I think, is kind of split. A lot of people will not. Most people, I think, will know anything about Jason. Derek Brown that's a great way to see the movie mm. uh, it's just coming blind and cold that's great um, I think that might be the most fun I never mm. got that experience <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that no, that's kind good. of how I came into it because I saw the trailer and then I you know like when you watch a trailer you sometimes you pay attention sometimes you don't and I was 
I was yeah. I had it on and I was like, ah, oh, and then I was doing something else, but then I got like, I was like, oh, this looks good. But I didn't I didn't quite grasp that it was a true story. So when I went to when I got your email and I was I was gonna go ahead and watch it, I thought I'm not gonna watch the trailer again. I'm not gonna look it up right. again. I'm just gonna watch it. Because right. I remember thinking I wanted to watch it. So I'll watch it without kind of looking too much into it. Um oh, and awesome. it was a great way to watch it because I I knew then I already knew it was a true story and I didn't know what was gonna happen. I wasn't aware of the actual true events. And um yeah, I would say like for the audience as well, that's a really good way to go in. Um, because you he's he's a very uncomfortable character with the whole time you think, Oh my god, what is this guy gonna do? What what like you just don't it's pulling you each way. Um yeah. and that's one of the beautiful things about the performance as well. He's <laughs> There's so many uncomfortable scenes in this film <laughs> with his mom, with with the mate that yeah. he's trying to convince to get involved in the thing that he does, and, and there's just so many moments like that. Um, yeah. And to, to well, touch you... on, um, I was just going to say that, like the performance in Ozark, I can totally see why when you saw that you were like, wait a minute, yeah. this this is this is a, a good fit because um, it's got that similar sort of oh my god, what's he going to do? Um, it was five. so yeah it was so immediate for mozart because you know i when i was in high school i wanted to be an actor like all these guys and you know i i was not very good but i loved it i was very passionate about it and i wanted to like study it as much as i could and i took this amazing acting theater class at carnegie mellon school in pittsburgh that's a great acting school and there was this teacher there who used to say to us she was really intense and she'd go now when you go into an audition they know in the first five seconds if you've got it or not and me and my friends would laugh at me and my actor friends would laugh and be like, what is she talking about? How could they know in five seconds? Like, you know, they know after you did your monologue, of course. And uh, I always thought she was kind of crazy, but then I saw Tom in this Ozark moment and I was like, oh my God, she's right. Because it was literally like a five second lightning bolt, boom, effect, mm. where I just saw him and I was like, yeah, this is the guy. Like, I'm normally someone who really takes my time to think about things and all that, but with him, it was just so fast. <laughs> so once I saw it, it was like, yeah. And you know, and what you said about uncomfortable scenes and, and movies, you know, there are three films that I think kind of were the birth, gave birth to this movie. Um, you know, one of them is one of my favorite directors, Shoya Mamora, um, the film Vengeance is Mine. I saw this movie in the new Beverly Cinema here in LA, which is, for those of you who don't know, Quentin Tarantino's revival theater that he's kept, you know, alive for the last like 20 years to, to help just so film goers have a place to go it's an amazing place the only show 35 millimeter film and I, so when i first moved out here i used to go to that theater all the time i still do but back then really all the time and he showed this movie and it's a japanese film about a serial killer who you know terrorized a lot of people in japan and was a really brutal 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 mass murderer um and was super charismatic and you know had a way with people that reminds me of jason and um it's the guy's portrayed by Ken Ogata, who's an incredible actor. And this movie had the audience just oh, feeling every emotion. They were laughing at parts. They were crying at parts. They were repulsed at parts. They were all over. And I just walked out of that theater that night. I was at 23 and I was like, oh my God, I've got to, I've got to do that to an audience. <laughs> like That was cool. That It felt like more like a rock concert than anything else. It just was so, the movie was so alive and electric. And like, I couldn't believe this theater you know this movie playing at this you know made 40 years ago all of a sudden just had that much like panache and could, could speak to an audience that way so 
you know, I think that uh, I love I love uncomfortable cinema. My favorite, one of my favorite filmmakers is Rainer Werner Fassbender, who famously said, "I fire in all directions." <laughs> he always <laughs> likes to like throw people off their game and you know, mm-hmm. make not you know, put them on the edge of their seat. Um, I know Fincher's talked about that first time he saw King of Comedy, and every time in the audience, the people went like this when he goes into Jerry Lewis's house. So you know, I love that kind of cinema. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, what I strive to do in mine is make entertain you but make you uncomfortable (laughs) (laughs) there's a fine line but it no it i love that kind of thing as well it's it's just really when you get that that experience where you really go on a trip and all all variations of emotion and that's that i mean that's the great thing about cinema as well being in a room with other people that are reacting as well and everyone's reacting slightly differently and um i mean a completely different vibe but not having the cinema for a long time because of everything that's been going on one of my first big experiences since all of that was Top Gun 2 and the the experience of that with an audience and all the emotions and all the nostalgia and everything else it's that kind of thing where you're like this is what cinema is for is getting that reaction out of the audience and having a a group um experience um that is like a ride it's like a ride Mm -hmm. yeah and I think that I agree with what Tarantino said um, that that movie played I, Tony Scott's one of my favorite filmmakers um, you know I, I actually was really cool working with Ryan because I didn't know this till actually recently but Ryan lived with Tony Scott oh wow really um, like he was he lived in his guest house when he first moved out here and he was in another he was in a Ridley Scott movie too because Crimson Tide was Ryan's first movie he had a very small part um, oh but Tony Scott kind of like discovered him and like took him under his wing as a mentor apparently he was the nicest guy in the world That's oh like, wow so, it's so tragic what happened to him but yeah he was, apparently, he was apparently like the sweetheart director you know mm-hmm. and um you know, ryan was telling me he was the same thing he was just like the nicest guy and like kind of helped ryan get on his feet and mm-hmm. uh, you know looked up to him and, and all and ryan looked up to him and all of that but um yeah i thought the new top gun i i agree i thought it was awesome um and you know i was so glad to see it do so well because that really i think mm-hmm. proved, yeah unreal Leader's not, not going anywhere, man. No. It's, it's going to change and shift, but it's mm. it's not going anywhere because people still want that experience and talk. Yeah. About it. They did a masterful job, so mm-hmm. I concur. <laughs> um, Matthew, I'm going to have to let you go because I've just realized how much time we've had. But um, wow. thank you so much, and and, and I really you. appreciate reaching out. And um, it's been really interesting. And genuinely, when it comes to you know seeing someone as yourself who's written a script. He's gone it off the ground and he's directed it. He hasn't given up and let someone else, you know, take over and and control the the end product. It's it's really it's fascinating and it's inspiring. Oh, so um I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, Elliot, thank you for having me. You asked really great questions, which you know is always nice. Um so thank you so much. I love your podcast and uh, thank you for helping keep film alive and uh we'll uh We'll come see your movie and then you'll have me on your podcast <laughs> as much as you want um, well you're welcome back anytime it's a real pleasure oh in fact that reminds me can i ask my um my final question most embarrassing moment do you have one on set preferably most embarrassing i think julian's i'm trying to remember, julian's was i think being late and then realized there was some sort of scenario with being very late to set um, does it have to be on american murder or no, no 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 uh, not at all no okay okay I'll, I'll i'll give you a good one um on on my thesis on front man 
you know, it was another situation where I had these amazing actors who were definitely well beyond, they were all working TV actors. They were well beyond doing a thesis film, but they kind of came in and helped me. And, you know, you, when you're finding yourself as a director, you kind of like, you talk about earlier, try on different hats, you try on different shirts, you know, you, you, you know, I, I remember having one director who said he would wear hats to set every day, you know, because <laughs> kind of an, an on-set persona forms, right. That might not be fully, you know, you, um, and I was trying out different directing styles and I, I really kind of like, I think I saw that like David O. Russell and like uh, Hal Ashby apparently and like uh, Judd Apatow all apparently like, you know, were very like improv, into improv with their actors. They really let the actors go off. They might even shout directions at them, right? Sometimes to the chagrin of them, but yeah, they kind of had this fast, loose, wild style. And that's not really my style. I'm pretty deliberate and thought out but i do i like allowing it but i'm not one to shout over the actors but anyways i saw john apatow did that and it seemed to work for him so i tried it and not shout but give it like run of like try it this way try it that way and so i try it with the actress and i have this guy and she's playing his father and i go up to her and i go the scene is like she's basically i don't know saying goodbye to him like it's a sad scene and you know you're not oh the character's deaf so you can't hear what she's saying so i i thought i would tell her um you know like i go tell him uh, we're gonna roll sound anyway so just tell him you know you, the show was great and whatever and tell him tell him and i go try this and she's like she tries it and it's like oh, okay now tell him i whisper in her tell him you got into berkeley college right so tell him you got into berkeley college so i go back behind the thing and we roll it and she goes she goes like okay she's like it's a nice actress she's like, and she goes and dad i got into berkeley and the whole crew just like the camera operator like, goes like this like what like everyone was so confused the lead actor just looked and like kind of like also went like what like everyone was just so thrown off and i go cut and everyone's like looking at me confused and like well, what was that and i'm just like ah i don't know i tried something you know what guys and you cannot be afraid to try things and fail and i just tried something and i really failed but we'll do it back you know we'll do it again the normal way <laughs> And everyone started laughing and dying and in front of my lead actor. And I go, I look at him, I go, I have no regrets about that because I tried. And he goes, yeah, no, for sure. Maybe just a little. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so, you know, but I think it's a good story because it's, uh, you know, yeah, not be afraid to try things sometimes. But yeah, definitely, uh, you know, you try on hats. You got you got to keep trying. And then if it goes wrong, you got to get up again. That's the main name in the game. <laughs> yeah, you keep learning how your style is. I'm learning it, you know, still with this. Like, obviously, I, I would hope so. If I came out of my first movie and I was like, oh, yeah, no, this is how I do things. But, you know, you're always constantly evolving and 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 learning things and doing some stupid stuff uh, you know insecure first-time director things so. <laughs> all par for the course but exactly exactly well thank you again Matthew and um all the best with the movie it's a really impressive I mean it's uh, I it blows you. my mind that you wrote it you you directed it and it's your first feature so wow. all the best thank with you. it man Brother, thank you. Oh, can we just um before we head off, can we just tell people where to see it? Yeah, yeah, of course. Or Go ahead. Do that yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, I assume most of your listeners are in America. I don't know. Um, um, all over, actually. Yeah, we've got a bit of over. a mixture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, so um, this episode dropping soon. Um, American Murder will be available on um, October twenty first in select theaters in the U.S. Um, and it'll be streaming and on digital demand platforms on October twenty eighth. Um, and for international folks, they'll be coming later, uh, early 2023. Brilliant. 
Great. Thanks, man. Elliot, really appreciate thank you it. so much for making this work. Uh, I really oh, appreciate good. it. This is a great podcast you run. So thanks, man. I I'll really keep, appreciate I'll keep listening. That. Thank you, man. Take care. Bye. Thank you to our guest, Matthew. American Murderer is out now. If you enjoyed this episode, please review and share this podcast. It makes a huge difference. We're also on Patreon, TikTok, Instagram. If you'd like to support us and get more content. Thank you. It's a life of and you better come back next month to a life and fail. To a life and fail. To a life and fail. To a life and fail.